Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 34 for season two, episode eight of Memory Serves. Sabriel, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of this episode. What is it? Uh, if Memory Serves, it's If Memory Serves. Oh, gosh, how did I forget that? I guess my memory <laughs> didn't serve. But here we are. I am your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Maston. Oh, Captain, my Captain, we are here to record another great episode of Transporter Lock, reviewing the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And oh my god, Ken, I'm going to interrupt you. This time dilation effect after our recent mission is really getting to me. Is it giving you a time headache? Yeah, time headache, uh, time sleepy, time dizzy. Because uh, we lost an hour of time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Daylight saving. It should. We should just burn it with fire. I feel like we have to go to the med bay to see why we're all so loopy. <laughs> I don't know. That's where the doctors tend to get their necks broken, and then when they come back, they're not very happy about being doctors. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that summer's went up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> anyway. So we are finally seeing what happened after the cliffhanger last week, where Burnham and Spock set course for Talos 4, but... We have a bit of a recap before then, courtesy the opening of this week's episode of Discovery. Oh my god. Before we even jumped into the recap, this was amazing. I was so giddy when I had previously previously on Star Trek. Uh, this showed old footage from the cage, which I will recap in a second, because a lot of people have not seen it. I was so giddy. Oh my god. Uh, the cage being the original pilot for the original series. <laughs> the footage of which they later recut into a canon TOS episode of The Menagerie. If you have not seen the cage, or if you have not seen the cage in a long time, like me before, before this, TLDR for that, because it can be relevant, Captain Pike is thinking about resigning after having troubles with the burdens of command over the past few years. Enterprise arrives at Talos 4 thinking they had discovered the survivors of a crashed survey ship, and on the surface, they quickly discovered that it was an illusion. <laughs> and the telepathic Telosians captured Pike with the intent on using him to help repopulate their planet with the actual survivor, the sole survivor of the survey ship crash, woman named Vina. Uh, the Telosians can project illusions, making his capture feel more homey, but each time he overcomes the illusion... After repeated scenarios, Pike discovers the Telosians cannot read thoughts if the target is angry. Number one, after a failed rescue attempt from the Enterprise, is also captured and is ready to destroy herself and her shipmates rather than be captured. The Telosians relent and allow the Enterprise crew to leave, instead opting to give Vina an illusory Pike to live with. That's the cage. You just ended by saying that the Telosians gave Vina an illusory Captain Pike. Did we know that? Was that in the cage? I don't remember if that... Uh, now I'm drawing a blank even though I just watched the other day because I'm just like, I've <laughs> watched so much in the last few days. Um, I'm pretty sure there was a scene at the end where he's with her. Maybe. Oh, you know what? Now that you mention it, I remember at the very end of the menagerie, it shows Pike being delivered back to the Telosians because in the menagerie, he's had an accident and Spock brings him back. 
we see Pike and Vina going back into the Telosians. So in the menagerie, that is meant to be Pike has been bodily returned to Talos and is going back to live with them. But all that footage was from the cage. And we didn't know that Pike was going to have an accident at that time because that was the canceled pilot for the show. So I think what that footage was meant to be is exactly what you just said. Yeah, when I booted up this week's episode of Discovery, I thought maybe I clicked the wrong link on CBS All Access because I was not expecting to see actual footage from the original series. Yeah, that was so cool. And the fact I loved the cutaway from old Pike actor to new Pike actor. It's like, yep, this is the same person. Sure, they look a little different, but just live with it. (laughs) Everything dies on the bridge. Right, because there may be some people watching Discovery who are not familiar with that long-lost legacy of Star Trek, the original series. And this really visually cemented the fact that this character that we are seeing as Captain in Season 2 has been around for over 50 years in Star Trek history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also love that they showed Spock smiling uh, in the recap from the original pilot because they did not really have an idea what they wanted to do with Vulcans back when they made the pilot. Supposedly, number one, who we also saw in this season of Discovery, was supposed to be the cold, impassionate one. And so Spock had a little bit more leeway with his emotions back then. Yeah. And we also got to see the ridiculous blue flowers they bought from some craft store. (laughs) (laughs) When they bought them, I don't think they were singing. They added that in post. Oh, maybe, maybe. I guess I haven't been to the craft store for a while. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) I did find the transitions and cutaways a bit distracting, but apparently that was purposeful to emulate the transitions that were used in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There was a Twitter thread. Uh, It was one of the people who had worked on this, and they talked about all the work that went into doing this recap and getting all the rights from the people who were in in their family uh, to be able to use this use this footage and it was pretty dang awesome like all at work and they tried to make it as authentic as they could to the era yeah i'm surprised that they didn't already have all those rights since this show has been released on dvd before i mean it's kind of like the rights where on voyager they wanted to use nick locarno from next generation episode with wesley crusher accidentally killed someone and they didn't but they used the same actor and then just renamed him tom paris In that case, I think it was because they would have had to pay royalties on every episode of Voyager to the writer who created the character, Nick Locano, and they didn't want to do that. Yeah, and there might be something similar here. I don't know. I'm no (laughs) producer-tologist. I'm a captain. That's what I have crew for. That's right. That's right. You delegate. (laughs) That's what you do best. One of the things I found most impressive was their willingness to juxtapose old characters with new. Because like you said... Things may be different, just get used to it, like the ship looks different, etc. But also, like these are different actors, and we very clearly can now compare one generation to the next. It also means that this is the second time that Leonard Nimoy as Spock has appeared in a production of Star Trek in which somebody else is playing Spock. I'm thinking specifically of Star Trek Beyond, where there was a photo at the very end of the TOS cast mm-hmm. being held by Zachary Quinto. Yeah, I guess it's not really the first time they've done this, uh, where they show the different actors playing the characters, and you're just like, yep, this is it. It's okay. Yeah, and it's just really cool to see those universes be bridged like that. I'm glad that they have the courage to demonstrate that, yes, Star Trek is different, and yes, these are different actors, and we are celebrating that legacy as opposed to hiding it and hoping you just think it's always been this way. And 
And with this recap, someone pointed out, I didn't even think of, uh, they made it so Majel Barrett is in, still in every incarnation of Star Trek. Ah, ah, I love it. I didn't think of that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Majel <laughs> Barrett being number one and uh, Nurse Chapel and uh, Luxwana Troy and the ship's computer, among a multiple of other things. She was also an animated series as her characters and like every single female character. Yeah, yeah. As you said, she did the ship's computer on TNG, DS9, Voyager, and I think Enterprise. Yep. Um, with Enterprise, they got the cheat because they had the the final episode where Riker hologram, uh, or Riker was on the holodeck with the Enterprise. Yeah, she died in 2008, but before she did, I think she also recorded some audio for the 2009 reboot movie. Yep, yep. She did a voice there too. I'm drawing a blank now. I don't know if it was computer voice or what. I'm tr- Just checked Wikipedia. It says the voice of the Enterprise computer. Okay. Okay. Good. Awesome. Well then, so that was 10 minutes just talking about the recap of a 50-year-old oh canceled pilot. Shall we actually was, talk about this episode of Discovery? Yes, but it was so well done. I'm so happy. That's all. Oh, it was worth the time. Oh, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just thinking about how long yeah. of an episode of Transporter Lock this is going to be. <laughs> Our six-hour-long episode. Okay. Anyway. Eventually, we're going to need to do – somebody is going to need to do TLDRs of Transporter Lock. <laughs> Hair breeze on her crap again. All right. Yeah. Hair breeze sh- won't shut up again. <laughs> and here is Ken being a straight white male interrupting, thinking he knows more. <laughs> it's what I do best. And in that terrible segue – uh, what happened in this week's episode, Ken? Well, since I know so much, let me educate you, Sabriel, <laughs> on what happened. Uh, oh, lordy. <laughs> so there was an A-plot and a B-plot this week. We'll separate them out as we often do. In the A-plot, we see Spock and Burnham headed to Talos Four. They come out of warp, and it's a black hole! Oh my gosh! And instead of Burnham being mystified at why her star charts didn't show this, she tries to escape Spock comes out of his stupor and slams on the gas to go toward the planet and the illusion is dispelled and it is Talos Four. They land, Burnham exits, she examines the singing blue flowers that Spock saw and she encounters Vina talking to Spock and explaining that, oh, the Talosians can help him, so they beam underground to where the Talosians live. The Talosians say that Spock's brain is experiencing time non-linearly, which is why he is so confused and that they can show Burnham what happened to him at a price that we'll get to shortly. So they basically, it's like a mind meld. It's essentially what the Tolosians are doing. They put Burnham into Spock's mind and they show everything that's happened, which is many fold. Uh, One being how when Spock was a kid, he saw the red angel and it instructed him on where to find Burnham when she ran away from home, implying that if he hadn't done that, if the red angel hadn't intervened, Burnham would have gotten eaten by a Vulcan monster and died. He then also saw the Red Angel as an adult, which led him to a frozen planet where he encountered the Red Angel one-on-one, solitarily, and did a mind meld, or attempted to, with the Red Angel. That is what caused his non-linear perception of time and drove him nearly mad, and also indicated two things. One is that the Red Angel is human under that suit, and two, the future that the Red Angel is trying to avoid is a future where machines looking like the advanced space probe from last week destroy all inhabited planets and basically all sentient life in the galaxy if not the universe my goodness dun, dun, dun. 
I know, right? <laughs> we have to briefly jump back to Discovery because a couple of things are happening there too. Pike is in his ready room and suddenly encounters Vina. I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been for him, which we'll get to, but he and Vina chat about how much they miss each other, how much they meant to each other. And then kind of like when Burnham and Ash Tyler did that holographic communication where half the rooms were shown on screen at once, kind of the same thing here. The Telosians beam a communication from Burnham to Pike so that they can do it undercover and without getting intercepted. And Burnham says, hey, we're here on Talos, come get us. So Pike sets a course to Talos via the spore drive, but it's been corrupted and they can't use it. So he sets a course for the Starbase 11 and then alters course to go to Talos and gets intercepted by Sector 31. He thinks that Tyler is the one who has betrayed them, but it's not. And when they get to Talos, Burnham and Spock are preparing to leave the planet and that is when the Telosians extract their payment for helping Spock, who is now perceiving time linearly, which is that they want to see what caused Spock and Burnham to hate each other so much many years ago. Hmm. And it turns out, and also that was a super convenient, uh, anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> and what happened is that when Burnham tried to run away, she didn't want Spock to follow, didn't want Spock to miss her. She called him all kinds of names, like, uh, you're a half-breed who's human pedigree will never amount to anything you're a cold heartless emotional uh, emotionless logical being blah 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 i don't like you stay away from me and then they get beamed back to discovery thanks to the telosians who help them avoid section 31 who's also shown up and that's it i think that was a pretty long tldr but i think that's everything yeah yeah that's a good way okay. to recap cool so let's share our reactions to that plot where would you like to begin, Captain? Oh my gosh. Uh, I love Georgia so much. <laughs> oh, that's right. You know what? In my recap, I didn't mention her at all, but she certainly played an important role here. Let, uh, start with that if you'd like. So so she's undermining Leland. There's a little little meeting with um, a bunch of admirality, which is cool because we get to see uh, like all the member races, the, the founding member races, except a human, if I recall correctly. Talk, talking to... People who are sharing information from control. They talk and they discuss plans and and uh, George Joe makes fun of Leland, makes him feel insignificant yet again because they want her opinion, not his. <laughs> and they walk away and George Joe has this comment, which is interesting. She's like, uh, in my universe, I tell the AI what to do, basically, as opposed to here. And you had mentioned that was a little weird to you at first. Yeah, when she first said that, I didn't know what artificial intelligence she was referring to. And I rewatched the scene, and immediately before that, she says, all this computerized threat analysis makes me uneasy. And I suppose that they could just be referring to determining the next course of action and using the computer to help them gauge probabilities. And in reality, that is probably what it's referring to, but it was just an odd line, and there is some rumors online that maybe it's actually referring to something else. Yeah, uh, speculation is control is an actual AI is running Section 31, or at least is the leadership of Section 31, at least right now. And so we'll see what <laughs> what comes of that, maybe. Wow, that'd be really fascinating if Section 31 is actually a bigger part of this arc than we expect. Like, maybe it somehow becomes the AI that we saw a thousand years from now, Zora, I believe that's I her name. really starting to... Call my old hypotheses complete hogwash because everything here is going to relate somehow. It has to. Uh, just the way this is building up, like I'm starting to think, like, yeah, I don't think you're far off there. But you previously thought the Red Angel was Zora, and now we know the Red Angel is human. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, it's still maybe it merged with someone, or I mean, it's plausible, or maybe it's part of the bio suit, or maybe it has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's just every time you start thinking you might have an idea, uh, they're like, no, we're going to throw this new wrench into the mix. Yeah, you go in one direction, and then the show takes a sharp right turn and goes in a different direction. Yeah, exactly what we've been talking about for like a week or two now. It's like, yep, every time we'll give you this little <laughs> breadcrumb, and then, aha, uh-huh, just kidding, the breadcrumb goes this way. <laughs> Well, even on last week's Transporter Lock, I was asking you, how do the Red Angel and the Telosians connect to each other? And it turns out they really don't. I don't think we're going to see the Telosians again this season. No, and I like their inclusion here. It was a little bit of fan service, but also they seemed like actual, like, relevant to Spock's history. Sure. But remind me, since you saw the cage or the menagerie more recently than I did, did the Telosians and Spock ever interact directly? Uh, Very little. It was mostly a Pike show. Yeah, because I, I remember him going down to the planet for the initial survey, but I don't remember him being captured by the Telosians. That was only the women. And I so when Vina showed up and said, Spock, it's me, Vina, I was like, wait a minute, have you two met? Yeah, I mean, th- th- nothing didn't fit. It's just they had, it was basically a very Pike centric episode, but there was some interactions with Spock as well. It didn't, it didn't weird me out at all. It was very, this fits, this fits. Well, it's kind of like in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when Chekhov and Khan (laughs) meet, and they act like they know each other, but back then on TOS, Chekhov hadn't been cast yet, and he was not in the episode Space Seed. Everyone kind of, or the hypothesis is he was just serving elsewhere on the Enterprise at the time. Right, or maybe he just had a case of the runs and was in the bathroom for the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, it happens. I mean, when when you have a guy who's spent on taking over the ship, like it's a good place to hide. Well, also, I assume that Khan at some point needed to go, superhuman or not, and maybe he just, you know, Chekhov forgot to lock the door and Khan burst in, and that's how they met. <laughs> Khan! <laughs> right. So they did know each other, see? And in a very unpleasant context as well. Anyway. Right, moving um... on. <laughs> What did you think of the way that they portrayed the Telosians in this episode compared to the only other time we've seen them in Star Trek history? Uh, I thought I was like, man, they're kind of mute and just kind of like along for the ride. But I did love their look. But they're like, they're, they just seemed to be like, yep, okay, uh, you're here again, sure. And I, I didn't, I didn't really get that feeling from the original series that they would be like, I, I kind of more felt like. They would. They should be like. What are you doing back here so soon? <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> and why are they from Transylvania? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> but now they're like, yeah, uh, Spock's right. We were the only ones who could do anything. I mean, they weren't the one who set the rule that that Starfleet shouldn't come back. It was Starfleet who did that. Right. They actually used that black hole illusion as a form of defense to keep other people away. Yeah. So they're just like, okay, well, you're here, and yeah, Spock's right. We're the only ones who can help him because. Uh, Time is all wibbly-wobbly going right now, so we need an anchor. Okay, so at first, my very first viewing, I didn't really follow why, what their importance was. Even the second one, I had to like read a recap. Like, okay, okay, they're helping uh, work do – they're in Spock's brain and um, uh, helping him kind of remove the logic part of him that is trying to make the Red Angel work, like how it fits. And that's why he was like regressing into – last week into logic uh, descriptions and and definitions because his mind is regressing into ways and trying to make this all work in how he understands time and whatnot. And Burnham was kind of like an anchor to help them pull him away from the logic. But, you know, it comes at a cost. It makes you have to remember some very terrible things, 
which they feed off anger. I thought they couldn't see through anger. I thought it uh, they couldn't they couldn't see through anger for whatever reason. They also want to. I think they wanted to learn more about anger. That's why they wanted to know about these bad feelings. Yeah, it's not that they feed off it. They're just trying to understand yeah, 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 the human yeah. condition. Yeah. And and Spock said that Burnham is somebody who is familiar with his timeline because she was in parallel with him for so much of it. And so that's why he wanted her along because she grounded him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure like Amanda or Sarah would have done, but with her here, it's worked out perfect. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, now that you mentioned it, he was back on Vulcan with Amanda and Sarek. Either one of them could have grounded him. Uh, maybe it was just they didn't figure out his puzzle soon enough. Or, you know, like Sarek didn't even know he was there for the longest time. Well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Spock, while he was on Vulcan, kept muttering the coronas to Talos Four. Any one of them could have understood that message and brought him there. Uh, I assume that's why he went back to Vulcan. He was trying to find somebody who could ground him. But as you said, it was Burnham. She was the one who figured it out. Yeah. So, But I think Spock would have been satisfied with any one of the three of them. He said those coronas to all three of them. And I don't think if Sarah or Amanda had said, oh, that's Hellas 4, let's bring him there. Spock would have said, no, I want Michael to bring me there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I found the Telosians far less threatening in this episode in their demeanor. Like, they seem to understand humanity and or Vulcanality a little bit better and less inclined to tear it apart or capture it. As far as their makeup goes, I really, really, really hoped going into this episode that they would look exactly like they did 50 years ago. <laughs> just these huge brains with pulsing veins. And granted, the Tlosians can appear any way they want, just like Vina. So we don't know that they don't look like that. But I was actually a little disappointed that they looked so much neater. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have butts on their head? Basically, yeah. And also the... Telosian that we were most familiar with from the first episode that they were in always struck me as female. And in this case, I think all the Telosians who showed up were male. Uh, there was a female coded one. Oh, in, in this episode? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally missed that. Whether that, that is actually the case is another matter, but yeah. It was also an interesting choreographical choice that the three Telosians and Vina always stood in a perfect line. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? It sort of reminded me of Star Wars The Last Jedi, where Rey is in that cave and she has the mm-hmm. mirrors with infinite regression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I kind of mm-hmm. felt like each Telosian was projecting the next Telosian, as if it's a line of illusions. I can see that. That's interesting. Ah, it's an illusion. You can see it. <laughs> anyway, I did find it somewhat convenient that the very memory the Telosians want to extract from Burnham, with her permission was exactly what has been a plot point all season. If she wanted to give up a painful or angry memory, she could have given about like when Captain Georgiou died or when she was almost choked by Voke. But I think that since it was Spock and Burnham who were in the room with the Tolosians, they asked for that memory. What do you think of that memory? Well, we got our answer. Uh, it was something pretty terrible. We see a very young and emotional Spock uh, pleading with Burnham not to run away. Aside of Spock, we don't really see much. Like this kid who, when she was first introduced to him, was very cold and basically wanted nothing to do with her. And now he loved her so much. And you told me you were going to take me to Earth and show me all the Earth, this stuff. And oh, man, that was was gut-wrenching for me. (laughs) Yeah, the same Spock who slammed the door in Burnham's face has done quite a 180 into seeing her as quite a loved sibling. And for her to treat him that way. I mean, Spock says this is the reason he decided to subsume 
his human half and focus solely on the logic because she hurt him so badly. Oh, the scene was so good. They kept cutting between the child actors and the adult actors talking back and forth to each other in such a good way. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it really made Burnham feel like she was reliving everything she had done back then. And I, I, I can appreciate that because like most people, I am constantly haunted by all the things that I have done in my life, which I regret. And I feel those emotions today as if they're happening to me right now. Yeah, yeah, you could see it on her face too. And oh my God. Oh. <laughs> yeah, especially when they came out of the memory. She was just so aggrieved at what she had done. And she was so apologetic. And Spock said, it's fine. I understand what you were trying to do, but I regret having ever idolized you. Yeah, oh man, that had, that's that's. A gut punch from a Vulcan. <laughs> yeah. And even if he can appreciate what she was doing, and even though he is supposedly an emotionless Vulcan, it's clear that he's still very angry and very hurt. Yeah. Oh, hell, even uh, earlier in the episode, he's like, we're not here to make you feel better, Burnham. We're here to fix me. <laughs> I brought you here. Uh, and and there's a great line where where she's asking him questions and he's basically like, I have already asked myself these questions. Do you have any good questions? And she says, like her sister would, do you actually think that beard is working? (laughs) And at first I thought he was ignoring her, but then he actually reaches up and touches his beard. And I'm like, oh, she got to him. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, but he is definitely the instigator of their antagonism at at this point in their lives. She would clearly do anything for him and she was trying to help and he rebuffed it at almost every attempt. Yeah, yeah. He's like, nope, this is not the time, Burnham. We got bigger problems kind of thing. I don't think for Spock, any time would be a good time to focus oh, on no. her emotions. No. I mean, we've already seen like Sarek has no problem not talking to his kid for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Just for a little. Yeah. Model parenting right there. Yeah. <laughs> One neat thing about this episode, it finally puts to rest the debate of exactly when Discovery is set. Last week, you and I looked up on Wikipedia and theorized that this was two years after Pike and Spock went to Talos Four in the cage slash the menagerie. And now we know for sure that that is indeed the case. Yeah. Like, thank you, Discovery, for answering that. Uh, we should not have doubted you. <laughs> it also clarifies whether or not this is in the Kelvin universe from the Star Trek movies, because in that universe, Spock never served on Pike's ship. But here we see that the cage is part of Discovery's timeline, and therefore it is not part of the Kelvin timeline. Yeah. Well, I guess I did serve on Pike's ship for a good 20 minutes. Right, but definitely not in the capacity <laughs> that sent them to tell yeah. us for. Yeah. God, I was just going to... Oh, we also know it wasn't that universe because every ship does not look, look like a hot rod. <laughs> <laughs> but we are seeing a lot of lens flares, including this week, which is also very indicative of the Abrams universe. You see, I have not noticed these until like the second viewing, and I specifically watch for them. Oh, really? They're still quite yeah. glaring to me. Yeah. No, it's just me. I, I just don't register. Maybe I've just seen Star Trek 2009 so much that it doesn't register. <laughs> I'm not even looking for them. I'm just like, ah, it's only the last two episodes, just last week and this week. Maybe it is a hint. Maybe everything is tied in with the red red dot. No. (laughs) Actually, I wonder if this brings up your other theory about red matter. If this is not the Kelvin universe, can red matter still be an issue? Where did the red matter come from? Maybe this will finally answer what the red matter is in 2009. Oh, it's just a MacGuffin, a convenient plot device. Yeah, maybe this will finally answer it. (laughs) Now that we know what universe we're in, 
when Vina showed up to Pike, I have to wonder if he wondered what universe he was in, because imagine that you encounter a race that can create lifelike illusions of anything you've ever imagined, and then they supposedly let you go. You're probably going to spend the rest of your life wondering if you're still in the Matrix. I was thinking that too. It's like, like uh, you just never quite know. I guess this is probably a way to ground him. What is? A little bit. Uh, you're seeing Mina here. Maybe there's some kind of grounding here. I don't know. I was thinking that too. I mean, ground him in reality? Yeah, I don't know. Or some way. But maybe he did know. I don't know. Because she is an illusion. She's not been physically transported to Discovery. So for him to see her, he might think, oh my god, am I back on Talos 4? Uh, yeah, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I, I did have that same, I don't know if it was grounding or not, but I did have the same thought. Like, how would you ever think you for sure left? <laughs> right. I did like the way that they communicated from Discovery to Talos 4. And I was kind of hoping that Vina would physically cross that barrier between the ready room and Talos 4 as oh, a way to cool. go back. That would have been cool. And said everything just sort of faded away, or when he wasn't looking, it disappeared, which is a cheap special effect or no effect, but maybe it's a budgetary issue. Who knows? I'm gonna say we have we see a very different Pike here just two years later from the cage. Where in the cage, he was ready to give up command. He was like, I I can't do this anymore. I have to keep like ordering people to their deaths and make these tough decisions. And now he seems very I don't want to say relaxed, but he seems okay with being at work again. I thought that was just an interesting dichotomy over the past two years. Like something happened where he's like, yeah, I'm okay now. That's a that's a really good point. Well, we also see apparently he's having some issues uh, that we have not seen until Ash pointed him out, the deus ex Ash. Why do you call him that? I don't know. Maybe that's not the right term, but I just, I, he just, all of a sudden Ash gave us last week this definition or this explanation of, um, oh, you're hurting. You're just forcing yourself into these difficult situations because you missed out the war the last few years. Pike was like, you're right. I'm like, well, we had, but as viewers, we had no indication of this. And right. so that just really annoyed me. <laughs> uh, so that's like the only hardship we've seen Pike really seem to have outside of day-to-day Star Trek captain stuff. And did this episode shed new light on him? Maybe overall, but it still didn't feel like it tied in with the, what Ash was saying last week about missing out on the war. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I just, I still can't stand Ash. He feels <laughs> so paranoid without any indication of how he got there as a viewer and in this episode they tried to explain it he said something like uh well it's because of what i went through on kernos and all this but personally nothing makes me believe it it just and help later on he's set up by arium as a fall guy for something and i just don't care i'm like sure put him in jail the less of him the better i do not like his character this season I wonder how much of that can be explained by the fact that, in reality, he never actually did go through Starfleet training. Like, he is basically, I mean, I mean, he's a Klingon, and he was raised a Klingon, and he has a Klingon's memories, and they grafted these human memories onto him, but they're all false. And so he still has, at his core, the temperament of a Klingon. Yeah. I just don't like this character. <laughs> I not right now, anyway. Maybe that'll change, but right now, this character is so unbelievable to me, and so annoying, and so ridiculously paranoid without any explanation to us, the viewer, that I'm like, the less of him, the better. He does seem very different from the first season, and granted, he's been through a lot since then, from back when he thought he was fully human, but yeah, I, I agree that even if he has a reason and an excuse for being the way he is, that doesn't mean we have to like it. Yeah, and it, or... or 
give us the reason and excuse instead of just telling us so I can actually feel it with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As that, opposed that, to, yeah. That would be nice. You know, one thing I want to say about Pike, though, is that given how popular he seems to be as the captain, at least on this podcast, and how much we're learning about him, about how he has decided not to give up his captaincy, how he's still struggling with the memories of Livion Talos for, et cetera, et cetera. Why didn't they just do a Captain Pike TV show? Why did they start I a know. whole new show with Discovery? I saw a great comment this morning. It said, the writers are writing him writing Discovery into a hole because how can they get rid of Pike? <laughs> He's amazing. I love him on Discovery. And uh, this season or whenever he leaves, is going to be rough. Well, they did imply that the only reason he's captain of Discovery is because the Enterprise is permanently out of commission for the season. So temporarily out of commission, I should say. <laughs> so perhaps after the Red Angel issue is resolved, he'll be back on the Enterprise. And also, the Red Angel seems to be moving chess pieces to where they need to be. And I've been trying to figure out how it all fits together. So she put Enterprise out of commission because she apparently wanted Pike at the helm of the Discovery. She purposely made Spock save Burnham as a child. So Burnham must play a role here. And the Red Angel also exposed Spock to this future where all life is eradicated. So Spock plays a role. I, I, I think that must mean that Jet, whom they saved from the first Pulsar, must be important. I don't know how the church that they found in New Eden is important. And I don't know how the Kelpians being involved is important, but it does seem like kind of like in the year from hell in Voyager, where you can examine the timeline with 2020 hindsight, see what thread to pull on to make the whole tapestry come undone. And the Red Angel sees that and is moving pieces into position to prevent that heinous future from happening. Yeah, nothing. I still don't think it's any kind of malicious act, despite what Ash thinks. It all feels like it's like you said, it's a good, it's a good way to put it. Some kind of chess game where it's trying to get the pieces in the right place. And it seems like it's trying to fix something or make sure something doesn't happen. I'm inclined to agree. I, I think the Red Angel is benevolent. But I th think that that would explain how we lose Pike at the end of the season, which is once that future is re resolved, the Enterprise will be back in commission and Pike will be able to pursue his own timeline once again. Yeah. Oh, oh, I wrote this down because when Spock had said that he tried to mind meld with the Red Angel, I mean, we said that before, it said it, it's human, but also he sensed loneliness and desperation from it. So maybe that's some kind of clue. Oh, I missed that, but you're right. I, that sounds like it describes the protagonist from the short trek set a thousand years in the future but also seems to fit um zora right which is a theory we previously had but now we know that the red angel is human so would zora the ai from a thousand years in the future have embodied a human somehow it's star trek to me is plausible uh <laughs> and we also oh 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 speaking of cyborg human things uh there was a scene which we'll talk to about in a minute but um Arium was in the mess hall with a plate of food in front of their face. Oh, that's a good background detail that I overlooked. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch it until the second time. Like I knew they were there, but then I was like, wait a minute, there's a plate of food in front of them. <laughs> well, technically, Data could eat and drink too. Like yeah. when he got his emotion chip and found that drink disgusting. 
<laughs> and, and the green one is green. Yes. <laughs> Some people on the Twitters think that Arium is the one from the future trying to undo what she did once she got possessed by this probe that's trying to eradicate all life. I don't know that she would come across to Spock as human because we don't know if she's human. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of questionable things. <laughs> there are just, again, another freaking situation where they're like, here's a little breadcrumb. Is it the right one? <laughs> are we meant to believe that Arium is the one who tipped off Section 31 to go to Talos 4? Because at that point, Tyler was confined to quarters and we and Pike knows it wasn't him. Yeah, to, well, to me, it was led me to believe that. Uh, there was a scene where... Saru's like, hey, someone's sending a lot of data secretly with with these codes. And the Discovery crew's like, oh, looks like Ash Tyler's codes. But because but, only very few people can do this on the ship. And then we see Arian with her little glowy eyes go boop, 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 boop. But I wonder what benefit Arium sees to collaborating with Section 31. Uh, or maybe, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's another breadcrumb and we're not giving clues for well, this implies that Discovery and Leland's ship are working toward different futures, one where the universe is saved and one where it's eradicated. Oh, that's a good way to twist that. I mean, they may not be aware that they are at odds in that yeah. sense, because yeah. Section 31 is basically being manipulated by a possessed Arium, which nobody knows. But still, the, yeah. the, the means... the. The goal in doing so is very different from what Discovery is working toward. It's it's like Arium and the Red Angel. This is a Cold War where they are manipulating two different sides to two different ends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's an interesting take. I like it. <laughs> hey, at the top of this episode, when you're doing the recap of the cage, we determined that Vina has been living with an illusory pike. I think this episode, that line where she said that to him and said, oh, I've been living with a shadow of you for all these years and it's kept me oh, alive yeah. but it's not the same that's the first time we've really known that and pike did not seem to find that as revolting as i would have were i in his shoes i yeah <laughs> that would be kind of weird imagine you're in a long distance relationship with somebody and they break up with you because they say they've bought a simulacrum of you that which is almost <laughs> as good and i'd be like oh my God, that's disgusting and not at all the same. And I'm real and I'm here. And how can you be satisfied with anything less than the whole real me? That's how I would have responded to Vina. <laughs> well, in this situation, it was, she can't leave the planet. Whereas opposed to a long distance relationship, uh, there are means, even if it seems like not fitting now. Uh, I realize it's a very imperfect metaphor. Yeah, but you're right that it would feel a little weird, but I don't think it would feel the same weird. <laughs> I guess humanity has evolved in the next 200 years that they are less offended than I would be. Long distance when you have transporters and warp drive is not a much of a deal anymore. <laughs> Fine. Poke holes in my metaphor. See if I care. <laughs> I'm not trying to. No, no, no. I, I don't I don't know if a situation is... Equivalent? After the traumatic events that the Telosians had put on him, I, I don't think he was thinking any kind of... I don't know. I, I, don't, I didn't think of it the same way uh, as you did there because i think you in, in that situation you would be right that would feel weird but uh i think it was he knew it was happening already you know you make peace of it after two years you see hope to or do you uh, that's a tough question <laughs> so where this episode is running long we have another plot to discuss is there anything else you want to bring up here yeah real quick uh the very end of the a plot line section 31 and discovery are both trying to beam uh spock and burn him up 
and uh, Slosians play a little mind trick on this on the section thirty one, making them think that they have Spock and Burnham. There's a great moment there where I was like, I was sitting here like, oh my god, please do it, please do it. Please do it. Please do it. They're not going to do it. Spock's, they're not going to do it. And they did it. Uh, they did the equivalent of the say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Gracie. <laughs> oh my God. I freaking loved it. And then, and then Giorgio's like giggling, laughing her ass off, basically, in her head. Uh, it's like, and she says to Leland, who's confused as heck, like, she says, Those Telosians tried this trick with me in the Terran universe once. I blew them and their stupid singing plants off the face of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> freaking loved it you like that she committed mass genocide oh i love her cocky attitude and her just like i love her I'm just like nope this is how i do things <laughs> so, so this brings up a question and a comment for me one is when spock says goodbye spock which by the way i too love and nonetheless makes me wonder who was it making that joke was that the telosians I guess it would have had to be. <laughs> it would have had to have been. So they must watch George and Gracie too. But that must be the first time I've ever seen a Telosian make a joke. Oh, okay. It, it's plausible or possible that they just let Burnham and Spock do that on the ship. Like, here, make it look real. Is it possible? Uh, we don't know. But either way, I like it that the Telosians made a joke or I like it that Spock and Burnham make it a joke. I find it almost more unbelievable that Spock would do that. <laughs> oh, actually, no, it fits here because they got rid of his logic. When he gets back to the ship, Pike's like, is that a smile? He's like, oh, yes, it is. With a little smirk. Because hmm. this is tying in. This is going to tie in. Like, why is Spock having emotions uh, uh, and stuff like that? Why is this character so different at first? Um, people have been asking this. And they're going to they're answering that right now. His character in the cage was a very different character because of real life reasons. They didn't know what to do with it, but it never quite jived with the Spock that we know. And now we might finally get some answers. That's true. Oh, and we didn't mention that, by the way, he didn't commit murders. He didn't kill three doctors. Oh, yeah. Oh, weird. Uh, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Section 31 lied. Oh, and Section 31 is using Terran technology. They tried to suck up Spock's brain. Yeah, good point. I meant to bring that up too. I forgot to write it down. But the the mind sifter that they were going to use last week was based on a design that Georgiou brought with her. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, there's lots of weird things going on here, especially since Georgiou knows the future. That's right, from the Defiant. Yeah, yeah, at least a few years into the future. Huh. Of course, knowing her, she is somebody who makes her own future. <laughs> yeah, I freaking love her. They're stupid singing plants. <laughs> One of the things that got me into comic books in the early to mid-90s was a Starfleet Academy comic book. And that had them back on Talos IV for a brief time because the Dominion was set on committing genocide of all mind readers, including Betazoids, for example, because they didn't want anybody detecting who was a changeling and who was not. So they tried to commit genocide on Talos IV, and the Talosians used illusions of Pike and Vina to recruit other Starfleet officers to say, look, come fight with your Captain Pike to help us against the Jem'Hadar. Oh, neat. And it was only after they fended off the attack that they said, we're sorry, but Pike and Vina died 100 years ago. These are just illusions that we use to convince you. But nonetheless, I'm surprised that a race that powerful could in any way be threatened. And to hear George you say so nonchalantly, oh yeah, I wiped them off the face of the planet. I'm like, how could you even be capable of that when they can project so many illusions and distract you in so many ways? Well, we are, maybe 
Terran being uh, angry at everything. Maybe oh. it didn't. Maybe it doesn't work in the Terran universe as well on humans. I do believe that there is a lot more anger in the Terran universe. That's a good point. <laughs> but I also have to think that since the mirror universe, everything is more evil. Imagine how evil the Telosians must be. Maybe they were really good there. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they did not wipe themselves off the, their own planet by themselves. Maybe they did not commit nuclear uh, war against themselves. Who knows? It also makes me wonder how Discovery is going to avoid the death penalty for having gone to Telosaur. They did not mention that once in this episode, and makes me wonder if death penalty was added after the events of here. Which is interesting because the Telosians prove themselves to be rather benevolent in this episode. So why yeah. set up a death penalty? Yeah, uh, maybe we'll get that answer. It's like maybe we'll get an answer why Section Thirty One goes back into hiding. Uh, like. The season just seems like lots of breadcrumbs. <laughs> I, I do think we'll get more information on Section 31's future. I don't think we're going to see the Telosians again. It, yeah, I don't think we will either. Okay, so we should wrap this up and do the B-plot very quickly. Do you want to do a TLDR on that? Culber is having a lot of problems trying to fit in with this life that he had before. While Stamets is trying to like, here, here's all the things we did before. I'm even going to do more for you. Because uh, I love you so much, and Culber's just having so much trouble feeling anything. Uh, Culber, or excuse me, Stamets tries to take Culber back to their quarters, and along the way they see Ash and Culber. As all of a sudden, that's the first time he starts feeling something, and it's anger. And then, yeah, Stamets tries feeding him dinner, showing them all those things. Like, hey, it's still here, and Culber's just angry. He doesn't know what really. I think he, you know, he's obviously he knows he's angry with Voke slash Ash, but he's just feeling angry and he's not feeling anything. And he blows up at Stamets and leaves and then goes to the mess hall where he finds Ash and goes and and he just vents out a lot of anger at him. Because uh, Ash, if you, and slash Voke is the one who killed him last season, if you've forgotten. I've got it neat that Saru actually let this happen <laughs> right in front of him. So he's like, these two need to get it out as they're just fighting each other, punching. Actually, Ash is more of a defensive position for the most part, but Culber is just sitting here trying to beat the crap out of him and it's not working. He's just being tossed around and because he wants to just fight Voke. He wants to feel something. After a little bit and kind of emotions, emotions calm down a moment as the fight's going down, Culber, uh, we realize as viewers that Culber and Ash are kind of the same thing where they do not, they have something in common where they don't know who they are. I thought that was pretty uh, big there. And I mean, that's kind of their little moment there. That's our little B plot is Culber is trying to feel something. He's having so much trouble fitting back in this universe now that he's come back to life. That's a great summary. I really feel for Culber and he is just so confused and filled with anger and not sure really who to lash out at. And I don't know that anybody really knows how to help him. Like he hasn't gotten any psychiatric help. He's actually broken up with Stamets, who was like the one person on his side, really. Oh, gosh, these poor guys, this poor couple. I don't think Stamets was helping the situation. All his efforts, he was too hands-on, and he wasn't giving Culber time to process. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I mean, it's clear. Uh, uh, just, oh, Culber, he had a line at the end after the fight. He had, I don't know if he'd broken anything or just like wounded in his arm and he, or fist and... And Stamets is like, we should go get you a doctor to fix that. He says, I'm not letting anyone fix things I can feel. It's like he actually, like, like he's doing, and now he's doing anything he can just to feel again. I, I 
been there. I know that feeling. I've never actually harmed myself, but I know that feeling. It's rough. I mean, ditto here, both in the not hurting myself and in any feeling is good feeling. I get that. So, God, maybe I could say that. I got my industrial piercing like last year. It was nice. It was nice to have some feeling again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the relationship we're seeing between Samus and Culber is very different from the two times they met each other in the mycelial network. At that time, even just a few episodes ago where they brought him back to life, Culber was like, you have to let me go, Paul. This is why I love you. And I can't let you ruin that about yourself for me, blah, blah, blah. And now that he's back, he's like, I'm so angry at you, Samets, and even I don't know why. It, both of them, at least the, the one in the spore, on the un- upside down, was, um, I don't know, it's just two different, very different scenarios. And technically, hasn't Culber now inhabited three bodies? Because he had the corpse that was destroyed by Voke. He had the body in the mycelial network. And then he had another one that was constructed in discovery by the mycelial transporter. Yeah, at least at least in the in the mycelial world that might have been just energy photons and, and like not not the equivalent of just a fake version of body with his consciousness. Right, and that's why he couldn't cross over into their uh yeah. airlock because he wasn't made of the same stuff. Yeah, but now he's got a body again. God, yeah, how how do you come back from that? How do you in, in old Star Trek, they would have been like one episode of recovery and then, oh, everything is good and fine again. That's a good point. I think there was an episode of Voyager. I know there was one where Neelix died and that was a big deal for him because there was no afterlife. But I seem to recall, without remembering specifically what episode, there was one where Ensign Kim died and came back. At the end of the episode, he was like, ready to report for duty, Captain. And Captain Janeway is like, no, you've been through a lot and you need time to process it. So you have the next week off or whatever. In Voyager, most of Voyager's run is not this universe's Kim. <laughs> it's actually different universe's Kim uh, who came, yeah, parallel, parallax or something like that when Voyager was split into two. Yeah, him and Naomi Wilder. Wildman. And uh, yeah, they are not the this universe. Kim, Harry Kim has died the most, but it's actually accounted out with my friend. It was actually Janeway. Who has died the most on Voyager? So we just looked it up. It's at the end of the episode, Emanations, where Kim died, was transported back to to Voyager, and was revived with a dose of Cordrazine. And Janeway says, you've had an extraordinary experience. She urges him to take the time to appreciate what he's been through, according to Memory Alpha. Uh, granted, Culber has not returned to work either. He's not a doctor again on Discovery yet, but he has been through a trauma. And he, I, I, I'm glad that he confronted Voke. I'm glad that they had that battle. I'm glad that Voke clarified for him that, look, this is not like the Incredible Hulk where I get angry and the Klingon comes out. It's not that simple. <laughs> on one hand, I understand why they needed to fight that out physically and why Saru let them. But at the same time, the last time those two physically encountered each other, one of them died. And maybe it's not a great idea to give them the circumstances in which that can be revisited. Uh, I mean, another thing where I think Culber just needed to feel something. He was finally feeling angry. He just didn't care. <laughs> kind of like when Belana Torres went skydiving with the safeties off. Yeah. Just needed to feel after that trauma. Ugh. Uh, I loved, 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 loved the line. It's probably one of the f- only lines in all of Discovery that made me laugh out loud. 
when Saru and Pike were in the turbo lift. <laughs> and Saru was like, the Starfleet manual is surprisingly vague on circumstances involving a human with Klingon grafted onto him and a doctor who's returned from the dead. Because <laughs> Pike was kind of like, Pike wasn't mad. But he was also like, really? <laughs> I love that line, that, that snarky attitude that Saru can get away with now. <laughs> right. In the last two episodes, I've noticed Saru acting with much more authority and confidence, not in the way where he was confrontational on the bridge with Pike, but just being a good commander. Oh, they're totally building him up to be captain for season three, which has been renewed. Official now. That's right. Season three is for real. And I saw somewhere online that somebody said they wish Saru was captain this season. And somebody else said he hadn't been built up enough as a character yet for that to happen, which is is interesting because to most viewers, Pike is a new character. And how can a new character be more built up than somebody who's been around for a season? But you're right. It will be interesting to see who the next captain is and to see, I don't know, Saru giving orders, Burnham taking orders from Saru. I'm not sure how that would work, but there's still a lot that can happen between now and then. Yeah, plus there was a captain waiting on Vulcan, so hey. And we still don't know who that was. No, we don't. But we should get back to Culver and Stamets. Uh, Do you have any more takeaway on that B-plot? No, I just hope that... I haven't seen a ship's counselor like Deanna Troy on Discovery, but I hope that Culver finds somebody to talk to, because that's what he needs right now. Badly. Uh, Because, yeah... That's a lot of shite to go through. I uh, I hope that he and Stamets <laughs> find their way back to each other. I understand the par- hardship here, and uh, but yeah, I hope they can find a way to make it work, um, even if it's not the same anymore. Uh, maybe Stamets will take him to the opera. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know what? I bet that'll totally happen. I don't. I mean, they, not that they have a holodeck, but I think giving back to Culber the same thing that Culber gave Stamets to chart their way back from the mirror universe would help Culber chart his way back to Stamets. Maybe. At least maybe by the end. Yeah. Maybe maybe basically they do have to start over. I hope they can get back together. I love these two. Yeah, me uh, too. And they deserve to be both together and not dead. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope they are together. I hope they are Yeah, I hope, I hope the end of the season has a happy ending. Anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up this episode of Transporter Lock? Uh, yeah, uh, weird. I, it was weird hearing SQL injection uh, <laughs> on the ship. Uh, something, uh, was infecting the ship. We know later it was, uh, Arium doing things, or likely Arium doing things. But, um, the fact that they said an SQL injection in this ship that's two, three hundred years from future from now <laughs> was a little weird. I was wondering if I misheard them because I work for WordPress.com, and which uses SQL databases. And they're still using them on Discovery, but I just looked it up in Memory Alpha, and neither of us misheard. That is exactly what they said. Yeah, I went back twice to make sure I heard that right during the first viewing of the episode. I was like, did I hear that? <laughs> That's absurd, because SQL databases are decades old, and I am challenged to believe that they would still be in use decades, uh, centuries from now. And they still have the same vulnerabilities we do. Uh... <laughs> Which also implies that their computers work the same way. Uh, if it isn't 100% broke, don't fix it. I, I don't know. <laughs> but no, I th- or you know, it could be future SQL. It might stand for Starfleet Quality Logic L. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it could. It might not be the same SQL uh, we have today. And petabytes of information. I mean, like if you need to send a coded message, come on, that's a few kilobytes. You can send that on a floppy disk. <laughs> what 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 data are they transmitting? And why is it still in bits and bytes? 
I was suspecting it was data from uh, the huge planet thing. Maybe. Which reminds me, I just watched to the nth degree uh, on TNG. And that is another episode where at the end, Picard closes by saying, our scientists have downloaded so much data that it'll take decades to go through it all. (laughs) And then we never hear from it again, which is why I expected to not hear from it again in Discovery. But no, they actually did use it. They did. They did. And so, huh. Yeah, <laughs> Star Trek's really good at having loose threads just in case they want to revisit it later. Not just that, but I think they bring up more threads than they have time to tie up. Yeah, or just forget about, there's so much Star Trek. <laughs> Which is what all the novels are for. Yep. Yeah. All right, Ken, do you have any final thoughts? Because we are running super long. No, I think that's it for this week, Brie. So until next time. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Kick-ass. All right. We'll let you close because I am ruining the normal routine. (laughs) I was like, how do I get to close this?